0: Good evening. A volcano threatens St. Vincent in the Caribbean as evacuations begin. Violence in Northern Ireland, Coney Island is open for business, and a rezoning plan in Soho. Is it really about helping the poor? With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, April 9th, 2021. An explosive eruption rocked La Soufrière volcano on the eastern Caribbean island of St. Vincent on Friday after the government ordered thousands to evacuate their homes nearby. The ash column rose more than 20,000 feet and the majority of the ash was headed northeast into the Atlantic Ocean. The chief of the island nation's national emergency management organization is Michelle Forbes.
1: As the Honourable Prime
2: Minister indicated, our alert level is raised now to red alert means that an um, explosive eruption is imminent. So we have raised the alert level to red and an evacuation order has been given. All emergency shelters to be activated at this time. The Ministry of Education has already um, contacted those emergency shelter managers to be af- activated. Those emergency shelters have been listed as volcanic and um, emergency shelters. We have had, as Prime Minister indicated, we have already been coordinating with the vessels mm. to, to sea evacuation. I want to encourage persons who are evacuating, take with your necessary supplies, a bit of food, a bit of water, at least to last for the night, especially if you're going into the emergency
3: shelters. Let's be um, cooperate with each other.
0: Forbes went on to say shelter residents will be quarantined to prevent spread of COVID-19. The shelters that they would be accessing would be treated as quarantine shelters. So, they would not be able to go out and mingle with the locals on arrival. They will do the necessary quarantine period. The screening will be done with them. We have also worked with with SLASPA and the Ministry of Health in terms of when they actually arrive on island, the ports of entries. The, the screening, etc., the transportation from the ports, mm-hmm. whichever port is used, um, to the, the shelters. Several flights were canceled in islands, including Barbados, St. Lucia, and Grenada, prepared for light ashfall as the 4,000 foot volcano continued to rumble. There were no immediate reports of casualties. The volcano last erupted in April of 1979, and a previous eruption in 1902 killed some 1,600 people. A team from the Seismic Center arrived in St. Vincent in late December after the volcano had an effusive eruption. They've been analyzing the formation of a new volcanic dome changes to its crater lake seismic activity and gas emissions. The director of the University of the West Indies Seismic Research Center is Dr. Erisil Joseph. She spoke with WBAI earlier today. She says the eruption became explosive this morning, but her team of volcanologists on scene is safe.
2: So we began a period of explosive eruptions um, as of this morning um, after 8 and then uh, there's ongoing seismicity associated with that, and then just around 245, we saw a second explosion that took place, but this explosion was larger than the 845 eruption, and it's occurring in pulses, that's generating ash columns to extreme heights.
0: Describe for us what explosive eruptions means. What does that look like? Uh, what does that mean for the people who live there?
2: you may know that as of yesterday, the the Prime Minister of St. Vincent um, issued an evacuation of people in the red zone. This is a zone that's around the the volcano that can be impacted um, if there is an explosion. So people were already beginning to evacuate since yesterday, before the eruption actually took place. What has happened is that Magma beneath the volcano has found a pathway to the surface fresh magma because there was always a dome there was a dome growing in the in the crater since december late december twenty twenty but this was a gentle effusive um, flow of magma but in um as of the, this morning the there was fresh magma that came up in an explosive way, meaning it it there was a lot of gas and pressure associated with it, so it propelled the material straight up into the air.
0: How far could debris and ash go, and is it threatening populated areas, significantly populated areas?
2: No populated areas, not so much. Because, Well, two things. So ash in the upper levels can be transported to neighboring islands as light ash ball in the upper-level winds, but in terms of direct impact of surrounding villages, when that ash column does fall out, then, yes, the villages around the volcano will be impacted possibly by several centimeters thickness of ash fall.
0: So are we talking about a disaster of tremendous proportions or a manageable event?
2: It's manageable because remember the, the whole thing is about safety of people first of all. But in terms of the long, uh, and people have been evacuated and are still probably you know in the process of evacuation. Out of, um but in terms of the long-term impacts, there is a significant impact in terms of the economy um, and infrastructure. You know, there's likely to be a, um, you know a tremendous impact on the economy and infrastructure on the island of St Vincent.
0: And what about the health of people breathing in the ash that gets into the air?
2: Because of the island that may experience ashfall where people are, the ashfall would not be very much. But yes, precaution must be taken with respect to them wearing masks if ash bowl does blow in that direction. The thing is the predominant wind directions over the island does not take the ash bowl generally in the direction of inhabited areas to the east south
0: how long do you think this will happen for
2: well in judging by historical activity of this volcano an eruption could go on for weeks to months
0: what's it like when you live in st vincent or some of the i hear there's a, a dozen active volcanoes in the caribbean what's it like to live on an island with an active volcano
2: well the thing about it is that volcanic eruptions don't happen as frequently as say, um, hurricanes of storms and meteorological hazards that happen every year. Most of the time, these eruptions do not happen within the memories of everyday citizens. Some people have, you know, historical memories from living through multiple events, but most of the time people would only experience one or none. No eruption. It's a positive thing because they bring rich resources to an island in terms of tourism, agriculture, the beauty, geotourism. You know, it's only in times like this where the negative impact of an eruption becomes dominant.
0: Are you a volcanologist?
2: Yes, I am. And the Seismic Research Center is the agency responsible for monitoring the seismic activity in the English-speaking islands of the Eastern Caribbean.
0: Are you safe right now? What yes, you- I
2: am. Okay. Yes, I am. I, I am currently in Trinidad, but we have a field team in Saint Vincent's, and they are safe. They they are working out of the um, Belmont Observatory there.
0: Dr. Erisil Joseph is director of the University of the West Indies Seismic Research Center. She joined WBAI from Trinidad. The region's most active volcano in recent years has been Soufriere Hills in Montserrat, which has erupted continuously since 1995, destroying the capital of Plymouth and killing at least 19 people in 1997 and in more international news police in Northern Ireland deployed water cannons for the first time in six years Thursday as they tried to disperse protesters who hurled stones, fireworks and gasoline filled bottles at officers during another night of violence in Belfast. The violence erupted last week as tensions simmered between the Protestant and Catholic communities in Northern Ireland over COVID-19 lockdown restrictions that have restricted socializing and post-Brexit trade rules that have both economic and political ramifications. While the crowd appeared somewhat smaller Thursday police said a further 19 officers were injured bringing the total over the past week to 74 the latest violence came despite appeals from UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson Irish Premier Michael Martin and US President Joe Biden to calm tensions State Department spokesperson Ned Price
1: We are deeply concerned uh, by the violence in Northern Ireland uh, and we join uh, the British the Irish uh, and the Northern Irish leaders uh, in their calls for calm We remain, as you have heard us say before, steadfast supporters of a secure and prosperous Northern Ireland in which all communities have a voice and all communities enjoy the gains of a hard-won peace. Uh, This is something that the President has spoken to quite uh, passionately uh, in the past. Uh, We welcome the provisions in both the EU-UK Trade and Cooperation Agreement and the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, which help to protect the gains of the Belfast and the Good Friday agreements. As the United Kingdom and the EU implement Brexit-related provisions, uh, this administration encourages them to prioritize political and economic stability in Northern Ireland. Um, As I said before, President Biden has been unequivocal in his support. Uh, for the Belfast uh, and Good Friday agreement, uh, which was an historic achievement. We believe that we must protect it, and we believe that we must ensure it doesn't become a casualty of Brexit.
0: And that was Ned Price earlier today at the State Department. Britain's exit from the European Union has heightened tensions about the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. We'll be exploring this issue later on in the WBAI news, maybe next week. The Democratic-controlled United States House of Representatives Ethics Committee on Friday said it had opened an investigation to allegations that Republican Congressman Matt Gates may have engaged in sexual misconduct and or illicit drug use, among other things. Gates is being investigated by the United States Justice Department for possibly violating sex trafficking laws by paying travel expenses for a 17-year-old female with whom he was romantically involved. That's according to a U.S. law enforcement source who spoke on condition of anonymity. The Florida congressman has not been charged with any crimes and has repeatedly denied wrongdoing. And a vote by Amazon workers to unionize the mega facility failed on Friday by a more than 2-to-1 margin in a major win for the world's largest online retailer. The union plans to object to the results based on Amazon's conduct during the election. Union leaders had hoped the campaign just outside Birmingham would spark a new era of worker activism but instead It has illustrated the continued challenges facing the labor movement. Officials at the retail, wholesale, and department store union argued that Amazon's unfair tactics were to blame 55% of voters cast ballots. Amazon did not immediately comment on the allegations. And a federal judge on Friday ruled against Amazon.com, Incorporated, as it defends against a lawsuit by New York Attorney General Letitia James. I guess a win is followed by a loss over the online retailer's handling of worker safety issues around the COVID-19 pandemic at two warehouses. US district judge Jed Rakoff in Manhattan granted James's request to return her lawsuit to the New York State Court where she had filed it on February 16th. He rejected Amazon's request to move the lawsuit to Brooklyn Federal Court, where the company had sued James 4 days earlier to stop her from suing. <laughs> Yes, you read that the company had sued James four days earlier to stop her from suing. Amazon did not immediately respond to a request for comment. James's office had no immediate comment. And the White House Task Force on COVID-19 response team held a news conference today. Senior White House advisor Andy Slavitt began the presentation.
4: Both Pfizer and Moderna are on track to meet their commitment of each delivering a total of 200 million doses by the end of May. And on Johnson & Johnson, the company is working closely with the FDA to resolve any manufacturing issues at the Immersion Facility in Baltimore and to secure FDA authorization. Johnson & Johnson is installing a new senior leadership team to oversee all aspects of production and manufacturing at the facility. And Johnson & Johnson will have full responsibility for the operation and will leverage the expertise of Merck as well. Johnson & Johnson expects a relatively low level of weekly dose delivery until a company secures FDA authorization. And with that, let me turn it over to Dr. Walensky. Dr. Walensky.
3: Yesterday, CDC reported 74,860 new cases of COVID-19. And CDC's most recent data show that the seven-day average of new cases is a little more than 64,000 per day, up about 2% from the prior seven-day period. Hospital admissions continue to also increase. The most recent seven-day average, about 5,300 admissions per day, is up about 7% from the previous seven-day period. And deaths have continued to decrease more than 20% with a seven-day average now of 711. Vaccinations continue to increase, with the most recent seven-day average of nearly three million vaccinations delivered daily, up 4.5% from the prior seven-day period. And more Americans are being vaccinated and protected from COVID-19. On the other hand, cases and emergency room visits are up. And as I've highlighted through the week, we are seeing these increases in younger adults, most of whom have not yet been vaccinated. These trends are magnified in some regions of the country, like in the upper Midwest. CDC is working closely with public health officials in this region to understand what is driving these cases and how we can intervene. In Michigan and Minnesota, there are also increasing number of cases linked to COVID uh, to B117 variants in various settings. And in both of these states, there is concern about transmission in youth sports, both club sports, as well as sports affiliated uh, in schools. And we have not yet seen evidence of significant transmission of COVID-19 within schools when schools have fully implemented CDC's mitigation guidance. With that, I'll turn things over to Dr. Fauci. How could it be possible
5: that you went from discovering a new virus in January of 2020 to approximately 11 months later to actually have a vaccine that goes into the arms of individuals in December of that same year when we know generally vaccines take multiple years to develop? And this has often led to some degree of hesitancy on the part of people wanting to get vaccinated. The speed and efficiency with which these highly efficacious vaccines were developed and their potential for saving millions of lives are due to an extraordinary multidisciplinary effort involving basic preclinical and clinical science that has been on the way out of the spotlight for decades before the unfolding of the COVID-19 pandemic. There's genetic immunization, such as DNA and RNA, and hence, the mRNA vaccines, viral vectors, such as the adeno with J&J, recombinant protein, such as Novavax, and a number of others. So the bottom line is this did not happen in 11 months. It was was due to an extraordinary multidisciplinary effort involving basic clinical and preclinical science that had been underway out of the spotlight for decades before the unfolding of the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: And that's Dr. Anthony Fauci. He was preceded by CDC head, Dr. Rochelle Walensky and senior White House advisor, Andy Slavitt. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. After 18 months, the Coney Island Cyclone screeched to life once again on Friday, that's today. Some of the first to ride the iconic wooden roller coaster are brave for many reasons, but most of all, because they're frontline healthcare workers. Luna Park and Dino's Wonder Wheel Amusement Park closed back in October 2019 and never opened last year because of COVID-19. The big reopening kicked off Friday with the decades old tradition of blessing the rides, which had an additional blessing this time around, taking a moment to remember those that were lost this past year. Senator Chuck Schumer.
4: The opening of Coney Island is a metaphor for New York City. We are getting back in business. And just like we had a roller coaster of a year, now all New Yorkers are eager to get back to business, to the boardwalk here at Coney Island, and to many other places and have some safe, socially distanced fun. I know this place well. I didn't grow up very far from here. When I was a little boy, I'd ride my bicycle down Ocean Parkway with my friends. We'd walk on the boardwalk, go swimming, have a Nathan's hot dog. We just had a great, great time. I brought my little grandson Noah right here to the boardwalk and we had a great time. So this opening couldn't come at a better time. As you know, I have fought very hard in Washington to deliver tens of billions of dollars, over 250 billion altogether to bring back our economy and maybe most of all is the vaccine my parents are 97 and 92 they got the vaccine they're just fine if they can take it and be fine so can everybody else
0: and as uh, chuck schumer mayor bill de blasio cut the ribbon after a few words
6: coney island coming back is part of New York City's Recovering New York City's comeback. Coney Island, it's going to be an amazing summer, I'm telling you. People are going to come here and droves to Coney Island because this summer New York City is going to come back with energy and life. We announced the beaches will be open on time this year. And the rides will be open and it's going to be a recovery for all of us. Now let's celebrate this moment. First, Dino's Wonder Wheel, 100 years. I have a proclamation. Is Dennis here? Now, therefore, I, Bill de Blasio, Mayor of the City of York, do hereby proclaim Friday, April 9th, 2021, the City of York as Dino's Wonder Wheel Day. Congratulations.
0: Well deserved, brother. And that was Mayor de Blasio. In addition to the attendance limit, safety measures include requirements that visitors book tickets in advance, get their temperature check at the gate, and socially distance while wearing masks inside. The opening is a relief to the parks, which the Alliance of Coney Island estimates lost a collective $100 million while closed. After opening day, the amusement parks are only open on weekends until Memorial Day, when they'll be open seven days a week. And The local news blog, The Village Sun, has an article today about plans to rezone Manhattan, the part of Manhattan called NoHo and SoHo. Nonprofits behind the rezoning are packed with power players, says Gerard Flynn, who wrote the story. He says the de Blasio administration is promising low-income housing in a neighborhood that's already fighting gentrification.
6: The whole issue goes back to 2015 and attempts by tenants to get the local representatives to enforce the law and to get the Department of City Planning to enforce the existing zoning. The past 10 years, you've had uh, big box stores like Bloomingdale, for example, move in and convert large areas of ground floor retail and above into like luxury stores and so on. And that brought enormous problems for locals, you know, trying to sleep at night, there's a lot of, like unloading, things like that. It's out of that, their attempts to bring some kind of um, relief, as they called it, to the issue of retail development that we get to this rezoning it was never about the rezoning though that's what's very important residents had gone to the
0: city to ask about enforcing the current rezoning because they were building these big box stores there and these luxury developments and, and uh, changing the character of the neighborhood that way and what the city what even though he denied he would do that what Mayor de Blasio kicked back in the end was a massive upstructuring like we've seen proposed in Inwood and two bridges and places like that.
6: Yes, that's exactly what's going on here. What happens next is that, of course, the ULURP is pending and that's going to take less than a year. The ULURP is now pending, so that's going to take less than a year.
0: Is it going before the city council yet or what's the city? What is no,
6: the it's, so it's of course, it has to go to community board, the borough president's office, and so on, before it reaches the city council. What's the city council
0: woman's uh, position on this?
6: Margaret Chin, I did contact her for the story, and she didn't respond to my request for an interview. But she has been pretty quiet on it, as have been Gail Brewer. So my understanding is that they have tacit support for it. You have these organizations, such as Open New York, for example, You also have this citizens' housing organization, the Citizens' Council, for example. These are organizations that are proclaiming, they're claiming, for example, that this is all about racial justice, that they want to actually rezone and upzone in order to bring in more minorities into the neighborhoods. And they'd like to diversify it financially. But in fact, the area of Soho and uh, NoHo is actually pretty economically diverse as it is. I talked to people from the Census Bureau and she did an analysis for it of the area of the census tracts. So there are about five or six of them. And she showed me that in one of them, for example, the area median income isn't anywhere near 150,000. It's just under 84,000 or approximately 84,000. So this notion that, as one guy said, Pete Davies, he said, it, it's a really curious argument that they're making by bringing in a bunch of rich people. They're somehow going to bring more economic and racial diversity into Soho and Noho.
0: And a lot of this is supposed to be housing homeless people
6: and people like that. That's on the assumption that it's even built. There's no guarantee that they're going to actually even build residential housing. Do you know about Open New York? They were recently, just a few days ago, they championed this affordable housing initiative in Astoria. Okay, this housing lottery for this Comp 6-storey mixed-use building in Astoria. And the actual affordable housing is for residents. It's going to be at 130% of the area median income meaning that you would have to earn from between 62000 to 160000 to qualify for that affordable housing.
0: And Open New York is a development group that works closely with the city of New York, and that is Gerard Flynn. He's the author of an article in the blog The Village Sun, thevillagesun.com, and has an article today about plans to rezone NoHo and SoHo. And finally, Earl Simmons, better known as DMX, the raspy voice hip-hop artist who produced the songs Rough Riders, Anthem, and Party Up, Up in Here, has died. According to a statement from his family, he was 50. The Grammy-nominated performer, who rapped with a trademark delivery that was often paired with growls, barks, and what as an ad-lib, died after suffering catastrophic cardiac arrest. That's according to the hospital in White Plains where he died. He was rushed there from his home on April 2nd. A statement from relatives said he died with his family by his side after being placed on life support for the past few days. Simmons' family asked for privacy as they mourn his loss and said they'll provide information at a later date about his memorial service. The rapper had struggled with drug addiction since his teenage years. His lawyer, Murray Richmond, had earlier said he couldn't confirm reports that DMX had overdosed. And that's some of the news for Friday, April 9th, 2021. The news producer, Linda Perry, Our engineer, is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.